And so people that are looking to get started, right? And you were thinking you're going to hold back and you're just going to wait it out. Wrong move. Be ready to start making offers as soon as you see a good one that presents itself. Be ready. Be ready to take action. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another show of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. My name is Nathan with Undoor Properties, and you can find me here every Monday. And today I'm super, super excited to be with Casey also known as Brick by Brick Wealth on all social media platforms. She's a wife, a mother of three, stay-at-home mom, real estate investor, rental property coach. I think there's stories of you rehabbing hardwood floors or floors in general when you're eight months pregnant. Um, You're a regular on Michael Zuber's One Rental at a Time um, show. Um, And hopefully today you're going to be here to tell us about, you know, why now is a perfect time to buy real estate. Casey, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I am doing so good, Nathan. It's a great day. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. The honor is all mine. Why don't we kick this off with just um, you telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do, what you don't do, uh, whether real estate or not, and we'll go from there. Sure. So I just kind of feel like I've always had a love for real estate, just houses in general. Before I even knew that you could buy and sell real estate, I was always in awe of houses. So I feel like just that alone gives me the passion and the drive and the excitement to make all of this not feel like a job and something that's just fun for me. Um, I grew up born and raised Southern California, and my parents bought a crack house um, when I was in eighth grade and on a VA loan in the 90s, and we took about 10 years to rehab it. So I had many trips to Lowe's and Home Depot, <laughs> learning how to fix up you know, um, my parents' house, the house that we lived in. I hated, you know, hated it at the time, but I learned so much. Um, who knew I was going to marry someone who also had the love for rehabbing houses? So Blake and I are a perfect match. We both love real estate equally. He just has the day job um, and, you know, kind of makes the money for it. And we, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, in charge. But We could say it, you're in charge. So um, back then in California, I, you know, got the regular nine to five job after college and realized that it really sucked. I did not like the one and a half hour commute. I didn't like driving home in the dark. Um, I said, wow, is this what's going to, what it's going to be like, you know, when I have a family? Um, I said, I want to be a present mom. I wasn't even a mom yet. I wasn't even married yet. I already knew that this wasn't going to be for me. So thankfully the job that I had closed down because the owner was in some like personal weird things and FBI almost came and seized that. Well, they did seize their assets. And so we kind of shut down. So that was fun. Um, But that was my like light bulb, like, okay, this is my exit. This is a perfect time. And I had only been there for three months. So um, I got my real estate license in California and I started working with investors on finding flips. And it wasn't until Blake and I moved to Memphis in 2013 that we really started doubling down. And we're like, okay, we're not going to chicken out. Uh, we are going to buy rental properties. We live in like the number one rental market of the world. This is definitely something we have to do. Um, so we started buying um, just single family rentals, safe, easy, low risk. And we've just kind of kept that trend, just buying one at a time. And it's, it's worked really well for us. 
Very, very cool. I'm just curious, did you move to Memphis because of real estate or was that separate from like your real estate investing like journey? It just so happened. So my husband got a job in Memphis doing something that he wasn't really skilled in, but had an amazing opportunity. Um, and it got us out of California, you know, which we love California. My friends and family are still there, but the affordability wasn't there. And I knew I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And that was definitely not going to happen if I needed to work a full-time job, you know, in California. So we moved to Memphis. Just so happened it was a great rental market too. Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely is. And I'm curious just to help kind of the audience understand. Um, it sounds like you do a lot because Blake, your husband, right, has the has the nine to five or the, the W2 or day job, whatever you want to call it. Um, what do you do in real estate, I guess? What kind of real estate? How much do you do, you know, Airbnb, long term, fix and flip, small? Because I'm just curious, you know, help the audience understand um, kind of how involved this is for you as a stay at home mom of three. Sure. So I am just a long-term residential real estate owner. Um, we buy houses that are under market value. We fix them up ourselves. We own every tool known to mankind. Um, anything that's for sale in Home Depot and Lowe's. Blake ran across the article the other day, and it says Lowe's hiring jobs up to one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. And I, because that's kind of a lot, you know, for a, a Lowe's employee. And I was like, Hey, you would definitely get hired. I was like, You know how to work every tool in the store. So um, <laughs> we fix up all of our own properties. I self-manage. Um, we've considered buying short-term rentals out of state um, for our own vacation home as well. Just hasn't really happened yet. We've made several offers and been in contract, but you know, when it's your own house, you care a bit more. So we haven't found the perfect one. Not against it. Um, but I really like the the low stress. Um, well, it can be high stress if you pick the wrong tenant, right? Horror stories. There's definitely tons of those. Um, but with long-term rentals, it's easy. And for me, I wanted to invest in real estate for passive income. I did not want another job. And doing, you know, big commercial real estate, apartment complexes, um, short-term rentals, even midterm rentals, that's just another job. And I'm really looking for ways to make money without a lot of work. You know, there's definitely upfront work required for long-term rentals. But after that, um, it's the easy street. You know, once you get a great tenant in place, they pay you rent every month. You might have to call for a repair here and there. You have a great relationship. And while that's all going on and time goes by, your property is appreciating. And before you know it, you're a multimillionaire with tons of real estate under your belt. And it didn't take a lot of work or extra skills to acquire. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, again, to kind of, you know, help the audience here understand that it is feasible and it doesn't take, you know, moving mountains to get started, right? Um, and of course, as much as you, you know, don't mind sharing, but, you know, how much time per day, week, month, whatever, do you spend working on your real estate, I guess? And maybe how large is your portfolio, I guess? Because, I mean, there's a difference between managing or self-managing one property versus 200, for example, right? Right. So there's a lot of questions you asked there. Um, one thing I'll probably, I'll probably, you'll probably have to ask again, ask me again, but um, I'm going to answer this portion of it. Um, we're in contract right now with uh, rental house number eight. Um, and I know that's not tons of properties, you know, and I am okay with that. I know the social pressure out there to have a million doors, but we bring in a hundred thousand. Well, with this one, it'll actually with this eight, number eight will be more, um, $100,000 a year in rental income. So that's, you know, gross receipts, people sending us checks, um, 100K. A lot of those properties are close to being paid off. Um, so that's great. So we'll be able to keep most of that. Um, and 
the, the trick here, though, is to buy properties that have high cash flow, but yet are also in the best appreciating areas available for that high cash flow area. I know a lot of people, right, because I'm on Instagram like every single day at Brick by Brick Wealth, and I, I'm literally every day, all day long. And I follow a lot of amazing real estate investors, and I follow a lot of people who are just getting started, and I see all these success stories. And there are many people who are, I have 50 doors. I have so many amounts of doors. Um, but their cash flow is not that great. You know, it's 50 bucks a month or $100 a month. Um, or less, you know, or it's break even, but they have all these doors. The vanity metric is there and everyone's like, oh my God, you're so amazing. It's like, well, okay, I have to, you know, reel myself back and not get super depressed about it, you know, but our first rental that we have, um, that we bought, we still have it today and it cash flows 900 a month. So I get to keep $900 a month from one house, one house where I have a tenant that doesn't talk to me all year. So when you asked about how much time does it take, the only time that it does take is when we are in the buying and rehabbing stage. All of our properties, when they are rented, there's nothing to do. There's literally nothing to do. You're going to collect your rent checks. You put in great tenants, you collect your rent checks. Maybe there might be an issue once a year on some properties. Now at the portfolio of six or seven that we've had in the past, I might have one thing a year from out of the group. Like there'll be, there will be times where I won't talk to you know, most of my tenants all year. So there's no time invested. And I always say most months I spend zero hours managing my rentals. So, so happy to you said that because I couldn't relate more. That's the exact same mindset that um, my wife and I are in with regards to all this. And that's why I sounded hesitant when I was asking the question about how large your portfolio is because it's such a contentious, you know, topic in general. And to your point, um, almost everything you see online social even frankly even you know bigger pockets which is one of the biggest name brands out there is all about bigger is better you know huge number of doors fastest to, you know 50 doors or whatever um and actually i don't know how often i've said this but the little known fact about our investment company called undoor that's why we chose that name it's to remove kind of the concept of the number of doors is important um, and it's more about, you know, having your money work, you know, the hardest it possibly can for you and just slowly over time, very boring, gets to, you know, more financial freedom, more choice freedom and more generational wealth. I love so, it. It's boring. <laughs> it is. It's boring. You know, there's, and people want to glam it up online. They want to glam it up because they want to sell, 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 you know, sell their thing. It's like, yes, I have a program too, but do I have some zillion amount of followers? No, because I'm a bit boring. I'm going to tell it to you real. It is what it is. It's not glamorous. Yes, you're going to cash flow three to $500 a month for a while. But, and is that going to change your life? No. But when you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and the cash flow from all those starts adding up, and you're able to put your savings into a pot, not to mention the savings from your job into a pot, pretty soon you're able to replenish that down payment in three months. So every three months, four months, you go buy a new house. People can't even do it that fast, you know, really. No, no 100%. And you said something earlier about uh, most of your homes or your rental properties almost being uh, paid off, right? Is that, I'm just curious because... You always have that debate of, you know, you should leverage as much as much as you can so that you can, you know, use those funds and, and those assets to buy more, right? It sounds like that's not what you're doing. What's your, your thoughts on that? 
So when we started buying houses, so they've gotten much more expensive, right? I mean, the one that we're closing on next week is 170000 which still isn't crazy, right? I mean, I help people all over the country with their first rental and rental markets. And if you're looking for single family that cash flows, you won't find anything under over 200 that cash flows. I mean, I'd be hard pressed. Like someone proved me wrong. You can find something over 200K single family that cash flows, love to see it. Where is it at? Um, really, anyone listening, send me a message. Um, I promise I won't tell. But, um, you know, so when we started buying them around 2016, I think the first one, the first one was 92500 And that was a 20-year loan. So we were paying more on that one. I wouldn't do that again. I would do 30-year now, you know, I learned on that. But um, the second and third properties were about 70000 67, 75, something like that. And so, you know, it's been six or so years and there's only like 30, 40,000 left on some of these houses. Like that's peanuts. Like I could pay that off tomorrow if I wanted. And oftentimes Blake's like, let's pay that off. Let's pay that off. And I'm like, okay, but that's a whole other down payment for another house. <laughs> I'm not quite ready, you know? Um, and I know he wants to quit. He can, he could quit tomorrow if he wanted. He likes his job. He works with his best friend, but it, you know, it definitely would be easier if we had all the cash flow, you know, except for tax, property taxes and home insurance. Um, but you know, he, he does what I want, you know, like I said it before. Um, and, uh, and so we're still saving, you know, we're still buying them with our down payments. We're not paying them off early or anything like that. Although I do split payments. So I do try and choose banks that offer, um, an every other week payment option so that it does reduce our principal faster over time with really not any extra money. Um, I have started using a loan broker and, you know, loan brokers, they farm you out. You don't know who your loan's going to end up with. And I did end up with a bank that doesn't offer every other week payments. And I'm kind of mad about that. Um, so I just have to remember, I'll just make an extra payment at the end of the year or, you know, sometimes pay extra if I feel like it. I'm just, I like to pay off a little bit early. And if it just means an extra payment a year, um, that makes me feel better and will knock down, you know, my payments by several years just by doing that. So I'm not all about, you know, let's pay them down, pay them down. But, you know, there are things you can do that don't cost a lot extra to help reduce the amount of time you have your loan. Yeah, no, 100%. We do the exact same thing. We actually have technically a 30-year loan on a few of our properties that we're trying to pay down in 15 years. So we just pay extra at the end of every year. And those will be our college funds for our two kids. So that's exactly. the plan. Um, so you can do that. Um, and obviously, so you've done a whole lot, Casey, right, from, you know, raising a wonderful family to, you know, very successful in real estate, you know, coaching as well right now. You know, in, in this journey of yours, do you have a favorite, like, success story that you like to share uh, and maybe share what you've learned from that um, success story? I would say, you know, my success story is boring. Um, and it is just the good old time test of real estate and how important it is to pick quality properties, quality over quantity. The very first house we bought, we were methodical and said, look, we need to buy something super safe, something in a, not Memphis. If anyone knows, it is one of the most dangerous cities in the nation. It ranks number one or two as far as murder capital of the world almost every year. So you have to be really careful where you buy real estate in Memphis. You can't just pick anywhere. So when we wanted to buy, we said we need to buy in a B class, an AB neighborhood with good schools um, in an area that's going to appreciate and is going to bring A quality tenants. And I'm talking six figure income earners, recent college graduates, cute little couples that are about to get married with their little Doberman, not Doberman, their little like, you know, whatever, their little Labrador, I was thinking, no Doberman, um, <laughs> Labrador, you know, 
and have Pottery Barn furniture and have Christmas parties. Like that's the type of tenant I want. You know, people talk about client avatars of their business. I have a tenant avatar and I have to know where those people live. And, you know, you got to abide by fair housing laws and you can't, you know, be judgy like that. But you can choose where to buy your properties and that's going to attract a certain type of tenant. So to me, it's quality. And we purchased a property in East Memphis in a very desirable um, starter neighborhood. And we bought the property for $92,500. It's probably worth at least two sixty-five dollars today. And we bought that in 2016, so it hasn't been that long. Um, especially, now I know that's not some crazy California appreciation, but we have to remember any market that is going to cash flow is going to be in a slow appreciating market. We just, it's not... We just want to make sure we don't buy in a negative appreciating market, one that is losing population and the city has no money to help, you know, fix up the area and invest into the commercial districts and things like that. So, yes, it's going to be slow moving. But come on, we're talking about a $90,000 house that I bought, you know, and at the time that property rented for $1,075 a month and today it rents for $1,525 a month. And if we had a new tenant today, we'd probably rent it for $1,750 a month. So the rent appreciation alone is my success story. It's just buy a quality property in a quality, you know, in quality neighborhood, put in good tenants, do great repairs so that you do attract quality people, do good finishes in your house. Don't paint everything the same color, you know, doors, walls, trim, everything. Put some white gloss trim paint on, paint your doors a different color than your walls. You know, do decent things to attract good quality people in a good neighborhood and your your appreciation of your rent will go up. You'll cash flow more and more and more every single year while your tenants pay everything down. I mean, to me, that's just that's the cake. That's the icing. That's the frosting. That's all of it. You know, it's it's the best package. And the boring part is that's my success story is just doing it right, picking it right and cash flowing nine hundred dollars a month while not doing any work. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of boring real estate, um, but $900 a month without, you know, without having to do anything um, doesn't seem to sound too boring to me, but that's uh, freaking I, cool. I, I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. And, and I'm curious, uh, has your definition of success changed over time? Like what it means for you today, as you're just kind of describing in this success story of yours, but then maybe back in the day when you were working or you know, when you were younger before family, I don't know, how has that definition of success changed for you? Yeah, that's a really good question, Nathan. I don't get to ask that a lot. Um, when I was younger, my dad was my dad was an entrepreneur. He had an entrepreneurial mindset and spirit, and always trying new things. And he always said back then, you know, when I was younger, if only I made twenty thousand dollars a month. If we can make twenty thousand dollars a month, that would be we'd be the richest people in the world. Like it would be amazing, it'd be life changing, and all that. And then my sister, she's younger than me. She's an entrepreneur, amazing, like amazing okay she doesn't do real estate she does other things but she is definitely amazing um and she soared past that in her 20s and it's like well that's not enough now you know if Haley can do it you know and so now i'm like twenty thousand enough is nothing especially with you know inflation and how much things cost um it used to be you know twenty thousand a month we'd be i would say quote balls rich you know and now that is not going to be enough so, I mean, I, I would love to make 50000 a month passive income. I feel like I'm not going to be happy until I reach that goal. But I know that goals change. And I think once I get there, I won't be satisfied with that either. <laughs> you know? And Blake's like, you're never going to be happy, are you? I'm like, I, honestly, I don't think so. I think I'm always going to want more. And, you know, what people say, like, when you retire, when you just quit work and you just sit around, that's when you start dying. 
And I'm like, I think, I don't think that would, I don't think I could do that. I think I'm always going to be unsatisfied. Now I do got to come to terms with, I have, I live a great life. I have a healthy, great family. I'm making money. I have rental properties. I can do what I want in my free time. You know, I can make my day money however I want. And I don't have to make it if I don't want to. Like I reach freedom, but you know, I'm a woman and I'm still a human being and that's not always good enough. So I'm always striving for more. Yeah, but I also think it's just a trait of somebody constantly looking to grow, right? If if you're if you're somebody that's always looking to grow and better themselves and and you know try to reach new heights, right? You, I don't think you can just be happy with reaching one goal, right? And then it's the finish line. It's more like these are mile markers, and there is no finish yeah. line. I heard the Absolutely. other day. Uh, I can't remember if it was. It might have been actually on on, on another. Um, podcast that we uh recorded recently but the the guest was saying that the finish line really is your tombstone so i'm not interested in that one (laughs) yeah um if i flip flip it on its head a little bit here the flip side of that question i guess is uh if you don't mind sharing of course if you have an incredibly like difficult uh story or experience in your life that you don't mind sharing with with us in the audience and maybe what you've learned from that so i definitely have a tenant horror story since we're on the real estate train um, you know, it's not always roses and it does take making the right decisions in order for you to have this wonderful, I don't spend any hours working on my real estate business. Well, that wasn't always the case. Um, I had picked the wrong tenant one time and I talked to that person more than I talked to my best friend, <laughs> you know, and at the time, um, I so I went out of my B-class neighborhood, bought in a C-class neighborhood because it was a little bit cheaper. I could get more cash flow, right? That's how it goes. The worse the neighborhood, the more the cash flow because higher the risk. The better the neighborhood, the less cash flow, the lower the risk. That's why you don't see a lot of cash flow properties in nice gated communities with, you know, 10-rated schools. It's just not going to happen there. Um, so we bought this property in the C-rated neighborhood, and um, I was just using my gut instinct, and apparently it wasn't that good at the time. And I... Put in these this, these two tenants. Honestly, they were fine for a while once when they were together. Um, you know, it's always, to me, no one take offense when it's a red flag when they just say, we're engaged, okay? Because a lot of people in these not-so-amazing neighbors are always, quote, engaged. And then they never get married. And then they just break up. So I learned that, didn't know that. I thought they were actually going to get married and they were going to be a real family. Not that it mattered, but, you know, anyways. So I, I put them in. I don't run their credit because I say, well... Anyone in this neighborhood is going to have bad credit. I don't even want to know, right? What does it matter? They have a job. This guy's in the military. He's got, you know, um, disability um, benefits that he gets every month that more than covers the rent, not including they both have jobs. We're going to be fine. So long story short, they break up. He moves out. She begs, can she please stay? And my son's going to school here and he's doing really well. And all, you know, I know I don't make enough money, but I'll get a different job. We'll get a second job. We've made payments before on time, da, da, da. I can do this. And I was like, all right, fine. Gave her the chance, right? Broke the rule. Broke my lease, right? Let her stay when she wasn't qualified. One day, finally, she shows up to my house to pay rent. Okay, another mistake. Um, And because I didn't want to drive over there anymore to pick up cash because I was lazy because she didn't have a bank account. Uh, because she always had car problems and couldn't get to the bank. I mean, this went on. She told me, you know, Casey, when I first um, moved in, she goes, my credit score was a 450. And I was like, whoa. And you did not know that? No. And this, when I you were a place, okay. I did not know that. No, because I didn't run her credit. I didn't know. And if I would have known that, 
I'm like, do credit scores go that low? I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have run into her, you know, like I would have been a no. And it definitely is no now. Um, my heart is slowly turning to coal um, after experiences that I've had. But I understand why, you know, um, in the end, she ended up, told, she stayed there for a total of five years. And I finally filed eviction on her and made her move after her first um, week of non-payment of rent. And this was it. I was done. Um, she did move out, but she also had multiple dogs that were there, pit bulls that completely destroyed my floors. Um, they peed all over the house and there was wood floors under the carpet. The, the wood floors were not able to be refinished. She stole all of my appliances. She smoked everything there um, and it smelled really bad. Um, she had broken my glass security door. Um, everything was overgrown. Like it was bad. Now I knew it was like this. It's not like I just, I had no idea. I was just kicking the can down the road. Um, because once they start smoking and get dogs and all, you know, and the, the damage was done super fast. It's like, well, I can kick her out, cause problems, make her mad, cement down the drains, all the things that I'm scared of, um, and get her out and now pay for a full rehab or just, she is paying, just kick it down the road until, you know, whatever I'm done. So I kicked it down the road and I probably should have kicked her out, for, you know, earlier. Um, so that, that mistake, and she backed into the garage door, you know, she wasn't going to fix that. It wasn't fixable. So that, that was last year. I finally got rid of her and um, it was about $12,000 worth of damage. And I'm, well, I mean, this sounds like the stereotypical horror story of rental, you know, properties, you know, that many, many people who are afraid to get into, you know, real estate investing will use or cite or uh, remember and use as an excuse to not get started. But I'm curious. So, well, I guess it sounded, you, you said, sorry, that um, you finally evicted last year, I think you said, right? But this obviously happened over a period of time. Why oh, didn't yeah. you quit real estate with this horror story? Um, I mean, I'm not a quitter, first of all. I'll be oh, hard pressed okay. to ever quit. <laughs> no way, okay. baby. I'm going to win, sa- you know? <laughs> Enough no. said. No. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I couldn't. No, I, and I knew it was my fault, you know? It's not like, you know, people, I feel like people quit when they realize that they don't have any more control, that it's out of their hands, that something they can do about it, and they can't make it better. If people actually quit knowing that they were the cause of it, I mean, I think for most people, that's kind of hard to do. Usually you quit because you don't have any more options. You don't know what to do. I know exactly what happened and exactly what I did. And I was never going to do that again. Like it was all my fault. You know, it was her fault, but it was my fault. Yeah. But again, I think there's, there's a lot to, to learn from there, right? Because, you know, I've heard so many stories where something like that happens to a relatively new investor. And that is the reason for getting out of the game. Right, because it was so bad, yeah. or they didn't have the twelve grand to fix up the place, or whatever it may be. It's just I don't ever want to deal with this again. Yet you still had the mindset, right, to just be like, well, okay, first of all, it's on me, which not everybody does, and then second is like, okay, now I I've learned from this. It's a learning experience, and now I can I have more strict requirements when I you know screen a tenant and place a tenant. Yeah. Yeah, like with her, I would give a lot of chances. I would split payments, let her play, pay late, um, let her start paying on paydays. And that turned into she didn't get paid twice a month. You know, it was like a rolling whatever. And so she was now paying a month behind. And then she got in a car accident. She couldn't get to work. And then she broke her leg and was out of work for six months. And, you know, I, I mean, I was trying to be human, right? And now I realize, well, that's why people hate landlords because 
they have gone through this so many times and it's never reciprocated. Like all that, all the things I did for her over the past five years, she just spit in my face about the whole thing at the end. You know, she treated my property like crap. It will never be appreciated. Yeah. No, it wasn't appreciated. And I'm like, done. Like I'm over it. You know, you get one chance for me. And if you're a chronic liar, you're out. Yeah. You're no, gone. that to totally makes sense. Um, and, you know, given all these like success stories and this horror story of, of yours here for this one rental, um, if you were able to go back in time to when you were 18 or younger or whatever, right? What would you do differently to, to I don't know, reach success or, or get to this place of, of success, however you defined it earlier, right, for you? I think, you know, if I was younger today, okay, because back then there weren't, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have social media, we didn't have a bunch of these tools that we have today. But if I was younger today, and I live, still lived in California, um, I probably wouldn't have bought my first car in college. You know, I probably would have gotten some sort of mentorship, which again, that wasn't available then, back then. I didn't even know that existed. I didn't even know what a course was, an online course, until I created mine a few years ago. <laughs> my sister's like, Casey, there's these things called online courses. And I'm like, what's that? She's like, let me send you one so you can see what it's like. And I'm like, this is cool, you know? But I think that I, if I were me, today, but back then, same living situation, same, you know, working as a server, you know, in, in college and all that, I would not have bought my first car and I would have put that money towards an out-of-state rental property. That's what I would have done. I would have started buying real estate back then. My dad always said, he always said, real estate's the way to go, Casey. You got to buy real estate if you're going to make it. You got to buy real estate. That's the way, that's the pathway to wealth. I mean, he never bought any but the houses they lived in and he hammered that in my head from a really young age. So I knew it was going to be real estate. Um, and I think that if I was younger now, like I'm trying to teach my, my oldest is just turned 12 and she's not quite interested, but, but she, she's starting to pay more attention. Um, and she's definitely going to be hands-on with our properties when she gets a little bit older and understand the power of passive income and not trading your time for money. That you can work real hard, save up money for a down payment and then let your money work for you. You don't have to spend it. You don't have to put it in the bank and, and let the government give you one penny for every $100. There are other ways to make money, and that's what the rich people do. The rich people do not work nine to fives their entire life, and that's all they do is save money in their banks. They don't do that. No, absolutely not. And you touched on this a couple of times now. I think uh, it's worth mentioning again, right? But the one thing that I think quite a few people, at least that I interact with, don't seem to always appreciate is the, like, the time component of all of this, right? Starting earlier, having the rentals, just spending the time, being in real estate over time, having that mortgage pay down, having that appreciation, letting things happen over time and being patient enough for that to happen is where a lot of this, you know, compounding growth comes from, the income snowball comes from, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you know, I, say, I feel like I say this all the time, but in like this microwave society of today, buy everything on Amazon with one click, Bitcoin, buy, sell it within seconds. You know, real estate just is too slow for most people and they don't appreciate like that long they, view. They want instant, you know, I do too. I want instant gratification too. You know, I do, duh. Everybody wants instant gratification. We would love that. But, you know, 
ask any rich person or successful entrepreneur, did they make it overnight? Ha 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 ha. If anyone pays attention to Alex Hormozzi, which he's a big name out there, this guy, what I love about him is that he doesn't promote get rich overnight. He's like, dude, it took me freaking years. I was the best at everything. You've got his book right there. I, yes. Right there. That, is that his first book? Is that the first one? It is. It's, yeah, I read that one. I have that one on ebook. I read it. Oh my God, it was amazing. I love that guy because yeah. he tells you that it's not an overnight thing. You guys have to work your freaking butt off. Yep. And those that are willing to do that, those are the ones who create their quote overnight success. Those are the ones who have that. Yeah, it's, it's always easy to claim real. the overnight success when you've reached it, right? And people know about you as a successful person, but never like the whole story getting there and how many late nights, weekends, hours, houses flipped, rehabbed, whatever. They actually, you know, blood, sweat, and tears they actually put into getting there. Right, so. but that doesn't mean, for everyone that's listening, it doesn't mean that it's not worth it. It's totally no, worth 100%. it. And the great part about it, the great part about investing in rental properties, especially long term, is that you only need to garner one kind of skill set. There's a lot of facets, right? You have to know how to do a bunch of different things, you know, um, understanding financing and rehabs and market research and building team members and working with contractors and knowing how much properties cost to rehab and, and all that and understanding rents and tenants. So there's a lot there. But Learn it once and just repeat it over and over again. You don't have to have a six-figure job to get started. Now, I'm also not a proponent of buy with no money, no credit. I'm not on that wheelhouse either. I do feel like you need to make your own money to buy your own first property by yourself before you start using OPM, other people's money. But you you can buy a property with, a little, with as little as 30 to 50K. And I'm talking a quality rental property. You can buy with 30 to $50,000 all in. You can buy a cash-flowing rental in the United States. That's not a lot. And for people that, you know, are young or whatever the situation is, saving up 30 grand should be your first thing that you do. Save up the 30 grand, get your FICO to 680, get someone to help you, buy your first rental property. Now you have the skill set and the experience to do it. Save up another 30 grand, or maybe then you start partnering or trying creative finance methods or whatever. But get your first one. It's not that hard to do. Just save up the money. It might take a couple of years. And if you don't make enough money at your job, start a side hustle. I did. I started an Etsy business. I had two babies. No excuses. I was a stay-at-home mom. I had a, a, a newborn and a, you know, a toddler. And I would, from scratch, I started an Etsy shop. And it wasn't a lot, but I saved up 20 grand in a year and a half from just working at nap, on, at nap time and on the weekends and after my husband came home from work, making little orders, you know? So you can find the money if you want to do it. Half the battle is getting started and half the battle is continuing when things get tough. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more on like just find ways to do it. I, I get in this argument with my family all the time because both my wife and I have full-time jobs so we make a decent income and we actually rent out part of our driveway as a parking spot on this app to just generate more income and they're like, why, why the heck are you doing that? You don't need the extra 200. I'm like, it helps. Why wouldn't I do it, right? Does it cost That's me anything cool. to rent it out? So it's just things like that. There are creative ways to, to generate more income as well. Um, I don't want to cut this conversation short. Casey, it's been absolutely fantastic, right? But I feel like I could go on for hours because there's so much to discuss here. I know. There's one thing that I wanted to ask you because I think I saw it in a, uh Instagram post of yours this morning. So it's at Brick by Brick Wealth. Um, but you said something along the lines of now's a perfect time to buy real estate. And I wanted to ask you if you could say a little bit more about that and why you posted that or think that. 
So, and I was doing another reel on that earlier before we got on this call. Um, now is the best time when people are pulling away, when people are scared, when we see we're entering a recession, when people are getting laid off, when interest rates are high, when it seems to quote suck, that is the time people make money. People make money when other people are suffering. It's so sad to say that, but now is the time. Between now and next year, when the economy is in flux and we've got problems with the dollar and China this and that, and everyone's kind of holding back because they don't know what to expect. Right now, I am seeing sellers, you know, accepting offers under asking in, in, in high cash flowing markets. I don't mean obviously like Austin and Boise and, and Salt Lake in California. Yes. Yes, those high-end markets are falling, right? They've been falling because they're really expensive. There's two markets. There's a high-end market. There's a below-the-median market. Below the median is where the cash flow is at. And in those markets, it's still pretty competitive because they cash flow, right? There's still investors that are buying them, not just homeowners. But we are, being, we are seeing right now with all that's going on in the past month, and it will continue in my prediction, um, we will continue to see sellers accepting under asking offers, sellers doing repairs during the inspection contingency period, sellers giving 2% seller credits. And that is, we did not get that last year. Okay, last year was over asking all cash, all contingencies waived. Because the market was so great, everybody was buying. Crazy. And one data point that I have for for that kind of illustrates or backs precisely what you're saying is like I'm on a bunch of wholesaler mailing lists because we sometimes buy from wholesalers. And I think for the better part of 2018 to you know six months ago, I would maybe see one deal a week come across my desk saying, "Hey, we've got this property to sell." So I guess they were just kind of offloading them so quickly to everyone they didn't need to do any more work and. Like for the last three or four months, I see multiple a day where these people, we've got this property to offload, we've got this property to sell, we've got this property to sell. So it's like you're saying, it's like everybody seems to be afraid now uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. So I would agree, precisely the right time, uh, precisely why, sorry, it's the right, right time to jump in. I agree. And so people that are looking to get started, right? And you are thinking you're going to hold back. This is what my post was on. And you're just going to wait it out. Wrong move. Get yourself financially ready. Talk to a lender. Learn your market. And be ready to start making offers as soon as you see a good one that presents itself. Be ready. Be ready to take action. Yeah, 100%. Last three questions I have for you, Casey, here. Then I'll let you go. Um, we always like to ask for a book recommendation uh, for the audience. What would you have? So I'm a weirdo in the fact that I don't read a lot of real estate books, but um, I'm really into, okay, I'm into self-development um, and my favorite book is by Joseph Murphy and it's called The Power of the Subconscious Mind because once I realized that actually I was in control of my life and that it wasn't so-and-so's fault or so-and-so's fault or any external circumstances that I am actually the one that creates my own reality, my whole life changed and I, I was like, I can do anything I want. If I want to make 50K a month, I can. It's nothing holding me back but me. So it's very freeing. So I would highly recommend that book. I got to put it on my list because I have not read it yet. So sounds fantastic. What about like a tool, software, app, something that you use on a regular basis that helps you be so successful? Well, when it comes to real estate, um, I don't really use any apps. I don't pay for any software or anything like that. Um, I mark my properties on Zillow, and I would say one thing you need to have is a spreadsheet and a computer. All you need is a Google Drive and some Google Sheets and Docs, 
and you've got yourself a real estate business. You don't need fancy software, apps, paying all this money per month for this and that. It sounds fancy, might make you feel professional, but it's not needed at all. I couldn't agree more. And last question, Casey, for you. How can our audience help you and reach out to you if you so wish? Well, you guys can all find me daily on Instagram at Brick by Brick Wealth and YouTube and Twitter is Brick by BR Wealth because there's too many characters. Um, <laughs> and um, um, whatever, all the places. My website, Brick by Brick And I love to help you guys that are listening. So I have tons of amazingly free um, information, tutorials, guides on getting started with real estate namely residential rental properties, one to four units. And I'm actually today working on a, a master ebook on how to navigate buying rental properties in a recession. So you guys can look for that. Um, it should be coming out soon. I love it. At Brick by Brick Wealth, fantastic follow all over the place. I know because I follow daily and, and engage as much as I possibly can. Love your content, Casey. Thank you so much for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure and honor, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show sometime in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.